This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi everyone here and around the world. It's getting close to Halloween, so I thought tonight I would wear some sparkles and celebrate with you in our Earth Files YouTube channel by sharing first some important news this week and then open this broadcast to your questions with Ian's good help and Brad holding the three-minute bell. Part of the fun for me is to try to stay within that three-minute time limit on answers, but you all know that can be a challenge for me. This past weekend on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022, came this interesting engineering science headline, quote, NASA team is set to study mysterious unidentified flying objects. The ultimate purpose of the group will be to recommend a roadmap for potential UAP data analysis, close quote. NASA itself on Friday, October 21st, announced that 16 people have been selected for the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Study Team that began its first day of work this week on Monday, October 24th, and six of the 16 are females. The new team of 16 picked by NASA to study UFO UAPs, range in backgrounds from physics, astrophysics, and astronomy, to computational and data science, biological oceanography, emerging advanced technologies, space exploration strategies, electronic and computer engineering. Two are former Federal Aviation Administration executives. One is a science journalist, and one was an astronaut, Scott Kelly. But it's discouraging that it specifies, quote, the study will focus solely on unclassified data, close quote. It's discouraging because those of us who have been studying the UFO phenomena for decades know that since at least 81 years ago in World War II until now, there have been extraordinary encounters with non-human intelligences. There have been reports by civilian and military pilots in the sky and ranchers and citizens on the ground. Those UFO, UAP, and non-human entity encounters have also included people who describe being taken by non-humans into an alien spacecraft. And then there are the bloodless, trackless animal mutilations, where ranchers and law enforcement have even seen beams of light come out of UFOs in the night sky. Those light beams either surround an animal and raise it into the hovering UFO, or lower an animal in the light beam to the ground. Both of those actions have been seen by ranchers and a few law enforcement. If all the phenomena associated with round or wedge-shaped or cylindrical or triangular or tic-tac-shaped UFOs are not studied, then isn't the new NASA UFO UAP study team more political window dressing? 
This headline, Roswell Army Airfield Captures Flying Saucer on Ranch in Roswell Region. It's dated July 8th, 1947, and that was 75 years ago. Only two months later, on September 18, 1947, the Central Intelligence Agency of the United States was created by President Harry S. Truman and worked with his majestic 12 group of advisors to understand the flying saucer UFO phenomena that World War II pilots reported as Foo Fighters that could appear and disappear, travel rapidly and stop still in midair, technologies that humanity did not have and our government knew that then and now. And sightings of UFO, UAP phenomena seem to even be increasing. Here's an October 21st, 2022 headline from Illinois, quote, more than 4,100 Illinoisans claimed to see UFOs in this past year of 2021, including round red glowing lights, long green rectangular objects, and a strange three-pointed starfish craft with fiery light underneath it. Many UFO UAP sightings are around the water of the Great Lakes, and around the world UFOs are often seen over oceans, lakes, and seas, and diving into and out of the water. Here are a few excerpts from recent emails that I have received from some Earth Files YouTube channel viewers. Summer, 1986, Westpac, Western Pacific. Location, Indian Ocean. Action, solo operation at sea. Weather conditions, clear skies, calm seas with some two-foot wind waves. Visibility was out to the nominal horizon, approximately seven nautical miles or eight miles. Time, 2.30 a.m. A radio call came over the one main circuit from CIC, the Combat Information Center. They sounded confused, unsure of what they were saying. They reported seeing something on radar. They said the contacts were there and then not there. Another call came out from the lookouts outside and above the main bridge next to the signalman's shack. They were clearly shaken and uncertain on what they were seeing. I asked them to calm down and speak clearly. They reported lights of multiple colors appearing and disappearing in an erratic fashion. I looked at the radar repeater and I saw some contacts for a quick moment, but then they were gone. The lights kept popping in and out. I counted 12 to 15 lights appearing in red, green, yellow, blue, and orange in colors. I remember the officer of the deck giving me a bewildered look and saying something like, well, who the hell is that? And here is Rebecca about her military husband's UFO sighting. Quote, when my husband was in the army, he was running a range and they had to call seize fire because it had looked like someone drove onto the range and turned their lights on. As soon as the army first sergeant started running down range, the lights went straight up into the sky and flew off. A report was written, close quote. And here's an email from Robin about UFOs over a lab, quote, I have seen UFOs over the Lawrence Livermore lab in California. When I got to work, two other coworkers asked if I had seen them, so I wasn't the only one. I agree that there is an intelligence or consciousness that knows they are being detected. It made me curious and also kind of anxious. I've also seen three of the disc-shaped vehicles over Lake Tahoe cloaked like long, thin clouds." Close quote camouflaging like clouds and invisibility popping in and out are two characteristics of the UFO UAP phenomena that separate them from human made technologies. And the list is now much longer, including Lou Elizondo's long list of observables. And the fact that it has been going on and being reported not just since World War II, but going back centuries, the same kind of phenomena, 
separates it from any human-made technology. And now I would like to hear from you all about what high strangeness you have encountered. And so let's go to Ian. Hi, Linda. Yeah. Okay, Linda, we've, we've got some uh, questions and comments lined up here for you. So here we go with the first question. Transgressive chemist says, the question is, what about the business magnesium that makes it anti-gravatic? Uh, what did her physicist mean when they said it's used as a skin on crafts? Well, we're talking about the business magnesium zinc, right? The layered material. That's okay. what the question is about, I think. And if it is, um, it is my understanding from a physicist in 2014 at a conference that I have discussed in the past here at the Earth Files YouTube channel that the material that came to Art Bell and then me, because Art asked me to do the investigation on it, the first batch was uh, pure, almost pure aluminum. Uh, I went to Alcoa and they confirmed that it was uh, nearly pure aluminum that they didn't work in. And then the next batch of material that came was uh, identified at a university where we did a lot of investigation on the material as being one to four microns of pure black bismuth alternating like a tort cake with 100 to 200 microns of a 97.6% magnesium and 2.4% zinc. And those layers, one black, one silver, alternated in what came to be known in my reporting as the bismuth magnesium zinc unusual material. And at a conference in 2014 where I was talking about the bismuth magnesium zinc, uh, I had been surrounded by people uh, in questions, which is often some of the best times to talk with people who are scientists and are sensitive. And uh, this physicist walked up to me and explained that he knew quite a bit about the bismuth magnesium zinc because he had allegedly worked with it in the uh, 1970s at uh, the Area 51 S4 lab and was explaining what they had found and wanted me to know that the aluminum and the bismuth magnesium zinc were like skins. That was the physicist's words and that the pure aluminum that also had to have iridium atoms placed intelligently in it was an inner skin on the craft, and the outer skin was the bismuth, magne bismuth magnesium uh, zinc layered material. And that in between were all kinds of advanced computer, uh, wiring is just a, a human word, that there was a interface between these two skins and that depending upon the mode of how they were being related to each other, the craft would either neutralize gravity or not, depending upon what was happening between those two skins. So that is sort of a very brief summary of a very complex subject about the, uh, my understanding at least in general of that material that was sent to us with skins to operate in and out of neutralizing gravity. I almost made it. <laughs> well was... done, Linda. Linda, <laughs> Lee Grass says, do you have any evidence that points to the ETs, or at least some ETs, not wanting disclosure? Could the ETs be preventing humans from knowing the truth? That question comes up a great deal. Uh, when uh, we did the Earth Files YouTube with Haim Eshed in Israel and his new book, uh, a, a, a man who was uh, made the satellite world for Israel, he said in his uh, epilogue in that book that it wasn't humans that were controlling when the extraterrestrial civilizations would be introduced. It was the extraterrestrials and that they did not feel that humans were ready. And I've heard that argument by, by many people. But to me, there's something bigger and more fundamental. If all humanity, if all Homo sapiens sapien, 
is, quote unquote, these extraterrestrial biological entities manipulated DNA and already evolving primates to create Homo sapien. That means Homo sapien, you, me, humans on Earth, are a genetic experiment by one or more advanced extraterrestrial civilizations. It doesn't bother me to learn that. It seems like that should be fundamentally something that all humans should know. And, but what goes along with that sentence is which extraterrestrial civilization or civilizations are the genetic manipulators? Do they have positive vested interests in the evolution of humans on Earth or negative? You could make something and not like it and want it destroyed to replace it with something else. That would be negative interest. I'm assuming from what I have learned over the last few years from a variety of whistleblowers that there are extraterrestrial civilizations that have a vested interest in seeing humanity get stronger and evolve. And I have shared with you in earlier programs this year more material about the tall whites and the Nordics that have been at least defined for me by more than one source. It's been backed up by uh, at least one other strongly that the tall whites and the Nordics definitely have a vested interest in trying to see humanity evolve past the horrendous number of problems that we have now. And yet at the same time, we have heard that there are the trontoloid insects that want Earth and they want us gone, uh, that there are mixed mixtures of motives. Uh, and that's why it seems to me, you, I, every human on the Earth deserve the truth no matter what. And I hope 2023 is at least going to be, we're not alone in this universe. Well, I'm getting closer to staying within three minutes. <gasps> well done, Linda. You're still, you're still, um, still getting up to date with it and, and putting a lot of information out there. Thank you. I've got a question, though, from Hannah. She says she wants to know where aliens first come from. It's Hannah, your, your uh, oh, granddaughter. Hannah Mead. Oh, hi, Hannah. I love you. She is my brilliant beautiful eight-year-old granddaughter in Philadelphia. She is a diamond of humanity on this planet. I love you, I love you, I love you. Now, uh, Ian, just repeat, the, uh, re repeat it one more time because I was so excited she was here. I just want to make sure I get it right. Yeah, okay. Hannah wants to know where aliens first come from. Okay. That is a profound question from my profound eight-year-old granddaughter. And I think that what came to my mind first was reading David Bohm and interviewing Roger Penrose, in which both of them talk about, and you can see that they have patterns and math in their mind's eye, that we are in a universe that has really no beginning and no ending because it is part of an infinite cycle of repeating cycles in time. And I'm taking their work and trying to put it into a, a sentence or two. But in that context, if you could imagine that as Roger Penrose said, there is no singularity. It is the collapse of the eons in the previous universe that forms the ongoing beginning of the universe we're in and it keeps going on. So in a way, dear Hannah, either we've all been part of the fabric of the cosmos in terms of potentials 
matter manifesting out of energy systems and into what forms, solid or biological, crystal. In a way, we've always had the potential to be. And now we humans are at this line in the sand where we're finally going to be introduced for the first time officially to extraterrestrial biological entities of many types, many kinds, with many agendas of their own in a universe in which I hope and pray that humanity on earth will be helped, that we will be able to get past this very, very rough time on earth and evolve to where there are no more nuclear threats, that we will know how to dissolve away COVID diseases before they happen. And that your life going into other lives will continue in the cycles, as Roger Penrose said. It's just cycles and cycles of time in, in infinity. So the ETs and humans are here simultaneously, past, present, and future. That's my answer. <laughs> I love you. Oh, I love you, Hannah. Hi, Laura. My dear, dear daughter, Laura. John, if you're there, Johnny is the father, the husband of Laura. And they have cats and dog, and they're wonderful. I love you guys. What have we got next, Ian? Is he in there? Linda, Rennie Cruz says, Linda, and she's talking about the bismuth magnesium. Is it the same metamaterial alloys I saw you hold and show in the episode on Quest TV, where you showed layers of metal manufactured yeah. together by extraterrestrial aliens that can't be done here on Earth? Yeah, uh, it is what uh, Hal put off and the army and uh, Jacques Vallée and, and we've all uh, tried uh, to work and understand and uh, I've worked with several people on that bismuth magnesium zinc layered material and uh, it's now being studied by the army and that would be yes the outside skin according to the 2014 physicists I know it's like we need a playbook I've got the 1999 Defense Intelligence Agency analyst and he told me a great deal about extraterrestrial civilizations. And there's the 2014 physicist at Area 51 S4 who knew a lot about the bismuth magnesium zinc and knew um, a lot about the potential for 2020 to 2030 to be a really difficult decade. And we're in it. But out of it, if I understand and understood him correctly, uh, there may be a lot more to go. But if the tall whites and the Nordics have a vested interest in seeing humanity survive and evolve with our very strong souls in the bigger box of what this whole huge cosmos might be about in the first place, not the matter worlds as much as the we'll call it the soul recycling. We will reach a point in 2030 and beyond, we, we will probably have humans on Mars and, and hopefully we're going to have the straightforward opening that we not only are becoming uh, two planets in this solar system, but that we already have gone with tall whites and Nordics in their craft out to 28 different solar systems that they have shown us or told us that there are 168 civilizations at this end of the Milky Way galaxy. And in the arm, uh, there's a, we're in a small, smallish kind of arm of the huge Milky Way galaxy. And uh, I've been told at least uh, that it, this is a fact 
and I would love to be able to prove like all of us would, which is why getting the announcement with a lot of information that we're not alone in this universe, let's understand what our government knows about other civilizations, good, bad, or indifferent, friendly, neutral, hostile. Let's all learn this together. And so that is uh, part of the evolution of some of the people who have come to me at different points. Uh, it also includes uh, the Marine who approached me at a conference all the way back to 2017. And that was about Antarctica and the alien secrets beneath the ice that I did the documentary about. All right, this is fun. I'm almost making the three minutes. I've got a question here from Edda Bergstaller. Uh, says, best wishes and greetings from Vienna in Austria. Here's the question. On the reptilian case, Jim Mars and you, were there any further investigations about one, a father who turned into a reptilian in front of his daughter? And also there's a second part of this question, a man converted into a reptilian in the midst of his friends and he never spoke again with his friends. Um, that first half, uh, I still, as you asked the question, the movie came into my mind. I'm uh, at a desk in Philadelphia in my house there, and the phone rang, and it was Jim Mars. Jim and I were the best of friends and true collaborators, and he said, Linda, listen to what I'm going to tell you, and then I want you to take this call uh, from this woman I have just interviewed. And Jim gave me a brief intro, and then I got to talk with the eyewitness. And here is the story from Jim Mars, uh, the, we'll say the experiencer, and I'm in, uh, there uh, in Texas, in Dallas area, and I'm in Philadelphia. And Jim uh, gave me the first uh, uh, follow through and why it was important that I listen because it fit into the category of something that he and I had kicked around. Could it be possible? Did it happen during the Vietnam War? There were reports of people seeing what looked like a human being shapeshift into standing up alligators, standing up lizards, something that was uh, reptilian. And, and Jim and I had had many discussions about that. And that's the context for his excitement in calling me. And now Jim ha hands the phone over to the daughter of the Dallas uh, businessman. And this is, now I'm going to tell you what she told me. She had a lunch date with her dad. And he was a corporate head of a large company. It's in Dallas. They're in a high, high office building looking out into downtown Dallas. And she had walked into see that her father was on the phone. And he waved, and she waved, and she turned to stand to look out the window of the skyscraper down onto the cars and the streets and everything. And she could hear her dad talking behind her. And she was kind of in a reverie as she was looking out the window. And then she looked at her watch and a few minutes had passed and she turned to do this to her dad, meaning it's late and we need to go. As she turned doing this, her father was standing with a phone clutched to his ear, the same shirt, the same uh, suit legging, but instead of seeing her dad, it looked to her like a standing up alligator. And she was so shocked, she grabbed up her purse and ran out the door. She saw her father again, and she said, I couldn't ask him because I didn't know what the happened. And that is when Jim called me and I got to talk with her. None of us know what happened. 
and never heard further. Jim never got any further on that story. But I've just related hearing it firsthand from her. I believe something like that happened. And how does it work? How can you be looking like that and flip into something reptilian? And pe other people have said they can flip back. I have no idea how that works, but I know that there are enough reports that something like that does. So if there's anybody here tonight, it's worth going over time. I realize I'm going over time. It's worth asking you if you've ever had the experience, you know anybody who has, or you're a scientist or a medical person who has been brought into UFO investigations where there's been shape-shifting, I would love to hear more. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Yes, I've interviewed somebody who's seen a person shapeshift into a um, reptilian on, I think, two or three occasions. Where was that? Uh, in, uh, in Suffolk, in England. And uh, maybe um, I should put you in contact with her as well. Yeah, thank you. Okay, Linda, uh, you asked for people's experiences. Julie says, I've had lost time and guessing that whatever took me took my memory of what happened. One we were of, discussing missing time earlier. One of the most common characteristics right from uh, the beginning of UFOs and abductions and everything starting to really uh, penetrate the knowledge of humans back in the 50s to the 60s, one of the most common of the characteristics of people saying they have missing time. Bud Hopkins, who did his investigations in the 70s, the late 70s, and his book, uh, Missing Time, came out at approximately the same time that my documentary, A Strange Harvest, about animal mutilations uh, was first broadcast, which was May 25th, 1980. And Bud's book came out around that same period of time. And he and I would be invited to speak at a lot of conferences, uh, like I am doing animal mutilations, he's doing um, the human abduction, and we would end up talking a great deal about these characteristics of what was happening and missing time. What were the various facets of reports about missing time? Some people would be driving a car. Something would have happened in the car that made them look at their speedometer. And for some reason that is not clear, when their missing time was coming back into the matter world from wherever they had been, the first thing that they're looking at is the speedometer that they were just looking at but it's looking at and seeing the speedometer dissolving as if it was cross, in a cross dissolve with something. And that making them really pay attention to what is happening. And then they look at the clock and it was 10 p.m. and now it's midnight, two hours. And the one constant is the speedometer needle that looks so weird. And then that's what they start out by telling me, bud, uh, somebody who might be doing hypnosis, I remember that the, the speedometer needle went blurry, and then I saw in the clock two hours were missing. Okay, so that's kind of one of the aspects. Another is where the person may be totally conscious, tracking just like we're in the consciousness now, but they're paralyzed. They wake up paralyzed, something gets them out of bed, uh, and in their nightgown or what they are moving through across the room, they become aware that they're going through the walls or the ceiling or some matter, and they uh, are mentally, they're observing, but they can't speak, they can't do anything, they're paralyzed. And the next thing they know is it's sunny, they're waking up, they have this memory, and they, they, can't, they can't understand what has happened because 
the clock, the hours are so beyond where they were when this occurred. And missing time can also be what appears to be mixing, matching past, future, future past, holding in another future time, and then being inserted within seconds of the abduction in this matter world. And those are how complex it all is. All right. And this is hard to cram into three minutes. <laughs> I'm trying the best I can. <laughs> well, there's another experience here. The catalyst says, December 31st, 2000, my friend Paulie and I lost 18 hours. We start out at 10 a.m., found our way back to his truck by 4 a.m., January 1st, 2001, at 4 a.m. What felt like two hours maximum actually was 18 hours later. And did they confirmed or knew or agreed about 18 hours because why? Well, there's a, a limit, obviously, to what they can say in the chat, but the catalyst, please please contact us directly at Earth Files or post more information in the chat and we'll relay it back to Linda. But a thing about this, Linda, I wanted to say is a lot of people report experiences happening around December the 31st. Have you noticed that? I have. Um, I would argue that I've noticed this uh, this week. I've been working on several different projects and I've been having to concentrate and make sure that my time, my time and dates are correct. And it is amazing how many uh, famous cases, either pilots uh, like Japan Airline uh, in November 17th of 1986, November, 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 it comes up in more cases than you would think just idly. And if it's not a lot of Novembers, it's October's. I do not, I had not really noticed that before, but it's been because I've been concentrating on a tremendous amount of material and having to, to concentrate on dates and times and realizing uh, largely famous cases a lot in November and October. Why would there be cycles in time for these kinds of events? I don't have any answer, but I think uh, that there are cycles in the larger extraterrestrial other intelligences interaction with earth and this solar system there are cycles there are grids that are applied through their technology to our planet to our moon to ganymede to enceladus and on and on in other words the 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 ets from everything i've learned always approach everything with grids and mathematical like that a planet is analyzed as it's approached in terms of a grid that is very meaningful to the non-humans and when that is applied they know every single large cavern inside of a planet or there's none or they know how much seismic activity volcanic activity uh, the, the basins underneath water. They are using grids and analyses that would probably just go like that, whether, uh, whether we could understand what they're doing. And that probably might explain some of the repeated cycles, one of which I'll just take really quick. Mutilations. One of the things I began to understand when I was doing a strange harvest, there would be a pasture, a hill pasture, some field where animals would be moved around by the ranchers on a regular basis and had been doing this for years. Suddenly they start having animal mutilations and for reasons unknown, the animal mutilations repeat on the same hill pasture, in the same creek, the same something. There's a repetition. When they take and don't put any animals into those areas, they didn't have mutilations. That happened more than once. Did I actually make one? Or was that a second ring? <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. That's for sure. Linda, I've got some cattle mutilation questions lined up for you. I think it's a good, good uh, time to introduce these now. Okay, Linda, why 
does their gravity beam have light? Why does a gravity being have light? Uh, a gravity beam, uh, the beam that, uh, that presumably lifts the animal. Oh, Why I, does it oh, have I, light? I Why is the cow lifted in light? Yeah, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't applied the name gravity beam, but I, I can see why people would do. Why would the gravity beam glow light? Is that what the question is? Yes. Why? Why? I'll just go back to the actual question itself. It's Shred Flintstone says. Wonder why their gravity beam has light. I think it's because it's a technology we know nothing about, or if we do, it's not being applied clearly on the Earth. Um, the fact that it can neutralize gravity inside of that light being, if you went back through centuries, when you go back uh, into some of the oil paintings where there's a beam and the, there are people and we're so surprised to see that beam, I think that the paintings, as opposed to being uh, religious, I think they have to do with the technology, the same technology of extraterrestrial civilizations that have been coming and going on this planet. As the DIA guy told me in December 1999, our government has proof that three competing extraterrestrial civilizations have been manipulating DNA on this planet and harvesting material for at least 270 million years. And when you grasp those words in your mind, think of how advanced technology would be for something that makes us say 45,000 years ago and they have been interacting and traveling in and around the solar system for at least 270 million years. So the idea that they have technology in which photons are emitted from a beam that can manipulate gravity uh, that doesn't surprise me, but I can't explain the physics. If somebody listening can, please let me know. What else have we got, uh, Ian? Yeah, here's another one. <laughs> and this one keeps cropping up. Uh, from Raptorman43, the only question I have about cattle mutilations is why do they bring the cow back? Or is it because they are doing the cattle mutilations right there on the spot? It's been an excellent question from the very first interview that I did with Sheriff uh, Tex Graves in Logan County that you all have heard me say, looked at me eye to eye and said firmly, Linda, the perpetrators of these bloodless, trackless animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And then at some point also in that same discussion, he said one of the things that puzzle me and every sheriff that I've talked to who is dealing. Whatever it is, they can come in and out of pastures like that. Why do they leave the bodies to be found? And we had a discussion in terms of the most logical, immediate conclusion. They want the bodies to be found because they want some message sent. Now, I remember when he said that, because that was the first discussion in my life that I ever had with anybody about uh, mutilations and beams of light lifting up animals and uh, that uh, the perpetrators were creatures from outer space was that meeting with Sheriff Tex Graves. And we ended up going a little bit further and because we talked about flaunting. I remember this very specifically. He, he and I both sort of came up with what are we seeing when we look at all these Polaroids, the, the, the lack of tracks, absolutely no blood, no fluid on dust, uh, the fact that there are no tracks, how does a 1,700-pound cow get to where they are with an ear, eye, tongue, jaw, genitals removed, and there are no tracks around the body? You automatically, as he said, you look up into the sky, almost like knee-jerk reaction. It had to have been lowered from something to this place where it is lying. And that's how it started with law enforcement. There is an aspect 
that I began to sense as I was working on the difficult uh, project of trying to understand animal mutilations. If there are multiple types, and that comes up very quickly as soon as you are into one of these subjects because you, you start hearing about people encountering ETs in a farm or uh, and then abductions and all of that. And you begin, to, you say, well, what did they look like? And you start getting slightly different descriptions. A lot of them, of course, the grays, the grays seem to be predominant in the United States stories, not necessarily in Europe and other places, but in the United States as being the ones most associated with uh, the missing time and the abduction syndrome, but not entirely. And so there are different ones. If there are different ones, what is their relationship with each other? Are they allies? Are they enemies? Are they neutral? What's their relationship? Let alone, what are all the different types relationships to this planet and why they are here? What do they want? And what is their motive for flaunting their ability to take a 1,700-pound cow, because there's no tracks, no signs of anything, but it's found lying with the ear, eye, tongue, jaw, genitals, rectum, tissue taken, and no fluid. This is flaunting. This is saying, this is something the royal we of the mysterious other intelligence, we can do, and you can't. Now, all of you take that and think about it inside of your own mind and your own personality. Why would something of an extraterrestrial nature want to flaunt? I don't have an answer. But the questions sometimes are the most valuable part. I've found when you finally start getting to certain question areas, uh, you are opening up ground that probably needs to be opened up and discussed. So, all right, Ian, what else have we got? I was long on that one, but that was an important question. Yeah, have a breather for a moment, Linda. Let's do the super chats. Oh, yes, you guys. Okay. Oh, wait, Ian. Sorry, Linda, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, how many people did we have on last week's show? that came, the number that we exceeded today? That you oh, yeah, last week's show is just under 60,000 uh, views so 60, far. 60,000 views, you guys, from last week. Uh, keep coming. Let's keep expanding and evolving so we can have that big, big, big celebration at 250,000. I was thrilled that uh, we had 60,000 this week. So let's keep going. All right, go ahead. Please like us and subscribe to us as well. Yeah. Hit okay, them. here we go. Moonbird, and we wish him a recovery as well, a swift recovery. Oh, he's still got COVID? He's just said in the chat he's, he's wiped out from the hospital. I guess oh. he's home now, but uh, but yes. God bless. And uh, Mark Petrie, Terry D, Judy Graham, Fluckto, Samuel Fogelgrim, Yen Yang Glow, Whisper of Love, and Brennan, thank you very much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Linda, Feeding Five says, please ask Linda why the military used to call UFOs alien reproduction vehicles. I've heard that before. Alien A reproduction RV, ARVS, or ARVs. I've heard that before. Uh, if you go into my two-volume book, Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 1 and Volume 2, it is the most material that I'm aware of, actually, in the world, in which there are illustrations by people in the abduction syndrome having to do with what they themselves call resurrection technology the tube technology in which there can be cloned beings, ETs, mixed humans, 
all kinds of things. And in Glimpses Volume 2, it starts in Volume 1, but it gets really deep in Glimpses Volume 2. And if, if you tried to sum up everything that I was exposed to from 1979 animal mutilations to 1989 when Glimpses Volume 2 came out 10 years later, or, or no, uh, 79 to 89, it was Volume 1, and then uh, after that, Glimpses Volume 2 came out. It would be that there is a need by the extraterrestrials to have a variety of bodies, human bodies, cloned, as well as some of their own bodies cloned. To clone bodies as complicated as human bodies and to do it more than once or twice, what could the reason be? And again, this is a question that needs to be posed and it needs to be investigated and it needs to be understood, but I don't know anybody who really, as a, in the civilian population, who actually has any answer to that. But that would, it is getting into all the material that is in Glimpses of Other Realities, Volume 2, High Strangeness. Uh, as many of you as possible, I hope, will get that book at least. Because I think that the material and the illustrations in Glimpses, Volume 2, could end up being quite relevant to what else we begin to learn as we move, I hope, finally into the truth that we're not alone in this universe and we're going, I hope, to be introduced at least to a, another civilization that might be a few light years away and that we will break into this whole new dawn era, era, era that beginning to realize that in order to understand humanity, we have to understand who made us and why, and what is their relationship to us now, and does that lead directly to the question, why do the Nordics and the tall whites have a vested interest in protecting and helping humanity? Thank God they do, and that they are there. But we know so few facts, and we've never been introduced to the biggest truth of all. The universe is filled with biological life, AI, it is teeming with consciousness. And you and I and every human, I think, deserve to know everything we can, can about that. And the, the thing right now is we're coming up to November soon and then December. And I'm not the only person I have learned just this past weekend. I am not the only person who has been told by someone in military and another person in aerospace that there is a hope for plan that in April, of 2023, only a few months from now, that there will be an announcement using the Webb Space Telescope, that it will involve the TRAPPIST-1 solar system, possibly the fourth planet in that system, and that we will get an announcement that there is a biological signature that has been confirmed through Webb that could only relate to biological life, and that that is how we will be introduced. Far away, yes, we're not alone. We need to know a lot more. You're okay. There's nothing that will harm you. We are fine. 
and now we're entering the new age and everything will go forward. Meanwhile, uh, I know for as far as I'm concerned that we already have a space force that has been out in other solar systems. They know a whole lot. And eventually, the, the big goal, I hope, is that we finally get humanity on Earth synced up with all the knowledge that there is about this solar system and the many other solar systems with civilizations at just this end of the Milky Way galaxy in the context of three trillion galaxies in this universe alone, teeming, teeming with consciousness. And April, April 2023 might be the first step and it may be just biological signature. But I hope they don't stop there. I hope between all of you and people that are more and more people coming and with more and more uh, very, very high-end education, I'm stopped uh, in airports, I'm stopped on the streets by people now who say, Linda Moulton Howe, I know you're right. And then they tell me this unbelievable encounter that they've had. And I've never had that happen before because people have been afraid to just openly talk about personal interactions with other beings. But it's happening now. I just was on a trip uh, to Gaia in uh, Denver and Boulder, did a wonderful shoot with Jimmy Church on a new series called Into the Vortex. It was just great, it was fun. And on that trip, in just one of my walks to go into Boulder to uh, in the town, from in, we were at the St. Julius Hotel, just going and coming, I was stopped by different groups of people. And in one of them, a husband and wife, we talked for 90 minutes. And their knowledge, their education, I was like, Linda, you have lived to see people that are, they, they were hep on so many things. And I thought, if we all could have this discussion that I had on a sidewalk in Boulder, Colorado this past weekend with a husband and wife who just recognized me on the sidewalk and we ended up standing there for 90 minutes talking about all kinds of complex facets because they were so educated and their questions were so good. That's the world we should all be in. So with that, let's strive for it. Let's keep working. Uh, please keep subscribing and hitting the like button. And next week, who knows? I'll be back with whatever is next up in high strangeness and reaching out to you guys for you to communicate with me through letter, through email, through proton mail, through FedEx, whatever way that works best. And I look forward to seeing you here next week. I love you guys. Hannah. Turn on closed captions for YouTube videos by clicking the white CC button on the lower right. The default language for Linda's videos is English. If you would like to see the captions in another language, click on the white settings button next to the CC button. Select subtitle CC and then select auto translate. I don't have to put them in select a language bind them anywhere they and the captions will now appear in that language sort of gone through and they will hold their heads I never had a cat do that before and they'll pull against the comb helping me get out snarls and I think it's the best they've ever been
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. Thank <laughs> you.